0: 699 in the pew bibles it's the gospel of mark chapter six chapter one um, beginning at verse 16 if you do not have a bible with you don't own a bible take the one out in front of you and take it home it's our gift to you this morning as we study god's word together could you just uh, pause though before that and let's say a quick word of prayer lord jesus we thank you that you are with us in this place and that you are with us through your word, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that it can, can cut through our lives and our circumstances, and whatever it is that we've been through, are going through, or will face, God, that you can bring us your hope and truth, that it would come to bear on us this morning, and I pray that it will. And I pray that we'll be drawn closer to following you, And I pray that that would begin even in the words that I say. As we speak your word, may my words further illuminate your truth, not my own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once their nets they left their nets and followed him. When we had gone a little further, when he had gone a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God let me ask you a question if I if I walked up to you this morning and said hey follow me how would you respond (laughs) I'm looking around because at the eight o'clock service they I don't know if they maybe just a little more relaxed they were like I'd go Most of them were like, that's cool, I'm I'm retired, i got nothing going on. Some of you might agree with that statement, maybe you would go, maybe you know me a little bit, but I hope that most of us eventually might have some questions, some very basic questions, Mary's like, yeah, I've got some questions, like questions like, where are we going, might be important to know, or or how long is this going to take, it's a beautiful day, Amen. I've got plans this afternoon. Or maybe, who are you? I don't know who you are. It's it's not that simple, is it, to say, follow me, and we just go. And yet, that's exactly what happens in our reading for today. When Jesus calls the first disciples to follow me, they literally dropped everything and they went. And I'm hoping that we're going to be able to make the case this morning through God's word that that's what Jesus is calling you and I to do as well. Today's the, the first Sunday in the season of the church we call Lent. It's the 40 days plus Sundays that lead us to Easter. It's a time of preparation. It began on Ash Wednesday. I love the song trading in the ashes, right? For God's beauty. And so we began this season, we're very early on, and the way that we're going to be preparing ourselves here at St. John's is we're going to be reading through the Gospel of Mark. Now, uh, share with you a little bit of background of this book. It's one of the four books in the Bible that tells the story of Jesus' life, It's the shortest of the four books. Many scholars believe that it might be the source of the two out of the other three books or one of the sources, Matthew and Luke. Um, If you decide to read Matthew after this, what you'll learn is that 91% of what you read in Mark you'll find in the Gospel of Matthew. You'll find over half of what Mark says in the Gospel of Luke. And so I want you to, to follow along with us on this journey and... And uh, what we're going to do through Lent is we're going to read the whole thing together, all 16 chapters. It'll only take you a couple of verses a day. If you start today, you'll make it there before Easter even gets here. And the way that we're doing that, if you take a look in your bulletin with me, open this up, um, you should have a handout here. And you'll see a little QR code. Um, Now, I didn't know this, and I'm I'm kind of a technology geek, and I didn't know this until way too soon, uh, maybe a year or two ago. You just open up your camera app and scan that. That's all you got to do. If you have a smartphone, and it'll take you to a link that you will get this plan, this Gospel of Mark reading plan, and it'll give you every day just this little bite-sized part of the Gospel of Mark. You'll start in chapter 1, verse 1, and it'll end at the very end of the book, and you'll follow along with us together. You can go on the link as well if you want to type it in that way. And the cool thing about doing it this way, if you have a smartphone, is it'll happen through the Bible app. The Bible app will remind you every day if you let it to read because if you're anything like me, life is busy. It's nice to get that little reminder. It'll also show you all of the other people from our church that are going and reading it together as well. And there's over 30 of you that have already signed up before we even talked about it this morning. So you're not alone and you can leave little comments if God is speaking specific truths to you. Would love for you to be a part of that. If this is not your thing, though, if you don't have a smartphone or technology or whatever, we do have a couple of copies of this in paper form out there as well. And so we invite you to do that. And then on Sunday mornings, of course, we're going to go deeper into some select passages as we follow along. And then in small groups, we're going to go deeper yet, both in God's Word and in relationships. So on the other side of that handout, you'll see there's a small small group sign up, and this would be a wonderful, wonderful time to consider signing up for a small group. I want to highlight Heather Lee, who is sitting right over there, um, because we just had a conversation as she was coming in, and her group kicked back off again this last series, and uh, it's a women's only group, so dudes, sorry, Um, but it's a great group, and um, they would love to have a few more people join them on Thursday nights here at the church, 6 o'clock. Is that right? 6.30. Okay. If you show up at 6, then you get to make the coffee. So um, whatever it is, just sign up and we will be in contact with you and let you know. But the purpose behind all of this, purpose behind small groups and behind our Sunday mornings and our daily readings, this journey that we're going to go on through the gospel of Mark is we want to get a more holistic view of who Jesus is and what exactly it looks like to follow him. And so I think it's important that we start at the very beginning. And we start in chapter one where Jesus literally says the words, come follow me. Now, as I mentioned before, Mark is, is the shortest of the four gospels, and the author, a man named John Mark, doesn't waste any time getting into the most important details, and so just before our reading, you've got Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River by his cousin John, and then you've got 40 days where Jesus spends time alone in the wilderness fasting and preparing for his earthly ministry, Satan is tempting him, the angels are ministering to him, and it's it's like what we do for Lent a lot of people come up to me every single year especially those of you who maybe didn't come from a tradition that remembers Lent and say where do I find this in the Bible and the truth is you don't find it in the Bible but you find the rhythm of it in the Bible and and one of those rhythms is in what Jesus did to prepare for his earthly ministry he spent 40 days and so we spend 40 days as well and it was after that that he began teaching in the synagogues and then he went and 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 called the first disciples. And so we get into our passage again. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, just show of hands, how many of you have heard this story at some point in your life? Come follow me, fishing, all that stuff. Most of us have, and I think many of us probably don't have an accurate image or perspective of what was actually going on. And so I've got a couple of things I want to show you. There's, I think the next slide is a picture of the Sea of Galilee, okay? This is just one picture, like beautiful place, right? Thirteen miles by seven miles. It's huge. There's mountains to the east. It's so prosperous that Plants grow and, and fruit is, is bared on trees um, 10 months out of the year. Um, just an incredible place. And it's on the banks of this mighty sea that Jesus finds these two brothers, Simon, who is eventually going to be named Peter, and then Andrew. And they're fishing. But fishing to them looked a lot different than fishing might look to you and me. Like, like, do you fish with a bobber? <laughs> Do you fish on your day off? Like, that might be what you and I do, but for these guys, it was their job. It was the family business. They cast a net into the sea, and this was what they took home and how they fed their families. Now, Now, the way they fished, again, they took a net and... It wasn't a fishing pole, it was a net, about 20, um, 20 feet in diameter. And the net would have all of these weights along the perimeter of it. And if you were fishing along the shore like these brothers were, what you would likely do, and you'd probably do this on your own, is you would take the edge of that net and you'd throw it out into the sea. And because the weights are going along the outside of it, it would fall down like a parachute through the water, and it would trap the fish underneath. Now, again, these guys don't have a boat, and they're throwing out the net, and so can you imagine how do you get the fish out of the water? Anybody? Anybody? you got to dive in, right? Like you're going to have to get into the water. So so they throw the net out, let it fall, and then they've got to go into the water, pull the thing together and bring it out. Is that what you want to do on your day off? <laughs> Probably not. And the reason I'm explaining this is because this was not for the faints of body or heart or even mind. Fishing was a major economic engine. They would take fish from the Sea of Galilee and export those fish out all around the region. And so not only was this a physically demanding thing to do, but it was a big and skilled business. And and, and I share that because I want you to get a a grip a little bit around what Simon and Andrew were doing. They didn't have a pole in the water with a bobber sitting up and down drinking a beverage. They were there. To work, And it says in verse 17, it's in the midst of that, where Jesus says, come follow me. And I will make you, I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Now think back for a minute and think about a person that you've followed over the course of your life. Who who have you just just think about that? You don't have to share this with anybody around you, but but who have you followed? Like like maybe maybe you followed a coach at some point. You were involved in a sport. Maybe you followed a teacher, a significant other, a child, a parent, a friend. Chances are we've all followed someone at some point. Why? Why did you follow that person? Well, well, maybe because you wanted something, an opportunity and an advancement. Maybe that was why you followed. But there's probably another reason and a more likely reason for most of the people we follow, and it's because of a relationship. See, either you had a relationship with the person you followed or, or maybe this was somebody you wanted to have a relationship with. Maybe you, you, you pursued somebody who you wanted to marry. Who knows? But, but it was about a relationship. And the reason I point that out is because that's what Jesus was doing here. When he said, come follow me, he told them to come into a relationship with him. And then he says that eventually you're going to be calling other people into a relationship with you. That's what he means when he says, I'll send you out to fish for people. And there was something so engaging about this invitation that they literally dropped everything they had and they went. They dropped their business. They dropped their livelihood, their family, their future. They dropped everything. And does that not sound crazy on the surface? Like, does anybody agree with me that it sounds crazy? right like just crazy to think that you would drop all of those things like if somebody came to your work on monday morning and said drop it all and leave would you do it (laughs) probably not it sounds like a crazy idea but if you think about it the basic premise of that story that narrative is actually a deeply human and natural idea it's, it's something that has been played out countless times in movies and stories that we read. Just this past week, um, our, our family was watching the, the Disney version of the movie Cheaper by the Dozen. How many of you have seen that one? Steve Martin, 20, 2003. It wasn't a great movie. I don't think it did well, super well. Um, but it was, it was fun, kind of funny. It was, how many people here have seen the 1950 version of Cheaper by the Dozen? All right, a couple of you here. We had a couple at the 8 o'clock. And there's actually a book that came before that. And the movie doesn't really base itself on much of any of those prior things. But it's about this this story, if you haven't seen it. It's about Steve Martin and his wife. Um, They have 12 children. And it's about the fact that they have to sacrifice a lot of things in order to, to make a big family work. The, the kids have to wear hand-me-down clothing. They, they live in a rundown farmhouse in the country. Uh, they drive old cars. They have to live in Illinois. No, that they didn't say that was a sacrifice, but I mean we can all agree, right? Right? We're better on the better side. So they went through all all of this and 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 even in what they did. The dad, Steve Martin, he's a football coach, college football coach, and he got lots of offers over the years to be a coach for big schools, but he decided instead to stay with a small school close to home so that he could spend more time with his family. There's these cute pictures of his twins and he's carrying them along the sidelines while he's coaching and all of this stuff. Mom also had lots of aspirations. She was an aspiring author, but she didn't do much with it because she was too busy taking care of her family. And and that's all at the beginning. They give you all of that background in the first just couple of minutes. But the meat of the story, the meat of the movie comes when dad gets a call to be the head coach for his alma mater, a big school in Chicago. And so he says yes, and he moves the whole family to Chicago. And at the same time, mom gets published, and she's called on a two-week rally all across the country on this book tour to promote her book, leaves dad with 12 kids for a week and a half, like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be crazy. And that's the heart of the movie. But by pursuing all of these things, there's conflict. There's always conflict in any good story. And the conflict comes in this particular story because they forget about each other while they're pursuing all these other things. And the climax of the conflict is when Mark, one of the younger boys, little redhead boy, runs away. He runs away. And in an immediate moment in that scene, the family drops everything to look for their son and their brother. They stopped arguing They dropped everything they were doing, and they went out, and they looked for him. And like any good feel-good Disney family movie, it always ends well, right? Mark is found. But not only that, Dad ends up quitting the big coaching job at the big school so that he can focus on his family again, and they focus on what's most important, and that is each other. Now, why do I share this with you? I share it because I think for myself and and maybe for some of you as well, we read this story of Jesus calling the disciples to give up everything. And we think, I could never give up everything. Like, don't, don't get me wrong, I like church, and, and, and I like the morals that the Bible teaches, and, and I like this concept of forgiveness, and when I feel guilty, I can come to God, and my sins are as far as the east is from the west, and he loves me, and I have this future in heaven, I love all of that stuff, but to drop everything. But here's the thing, even, even this, this, not only did Simon and Andrew do it, but we've got another example of two other brothers in verse 19. When, when Jesus went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, Jesus called them, and they did the same thing. They left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and they followed him. They didn't just leave nets. They left this roaring business. They left their father in a boat and they walked away. These men didn't just leave a fishing pole that they bought from Walmart that they were fishing in a watering hole out back. They left their vocation. They left their livelihood. They left their future. And it's crazy. Except... It's the same premise as Cheaper by the Dozen. <laughs> it's the same premise, right? I mean, this, this dad drops everything for his family. He drops everything, and, and it wasn't even that great of a movie, and still it grossed $190 million. And as I was sitting and watching it with my boys, I didn't have to explain to them why either. They understood. It was obvious that you make sacrifices when you follow those that you love. See, my hope is, is that as we read the story of Jesus and we read the story of a God who left his throne in heaven, who left his everything to come to us because we were the ones who were lost, that we will see in the lives of those who responded by following him as well that the why is obvious in this story See, in in Jesus' day, it wasn't normal for a rabbi to just walk around and say, you, follow me. It wasn't any more normal than it would be for me to say that to you today. If you wanted to follow a rabbi, the way it worked back in that time was you decided that you wanted to follow a rabbi. And so then you went around and you looked for a rabbi that might accept you. And if they did, they would say, come and follow. But they wouldn't say, come and follow me. They would say, come and follow the Torah. They would say, come and follow God's word. And that's, that's really the way church is structured, right? Like you did the same thing this morning. Did anybody show up at your house and say, come follow me? Anybody here? No? no maybe somebody did okay apparently karen did right right so in that case that's that's the truth but for most people You chose to come. And in any case, you chose to come between the two of you, right? Like, I didn't come and tell you to come. Nobody came and told you to come. Jesus didn't come and knock on your door and say, come follow me. But that's what he did with these disciples. He called them and said, come follow me. He didn't say, come follow this. He didn't say, come to the temple. He said, come follow me. And the reason he said, come follow me is because when we follow Jesus we're not following a religion we're following a person. We're not following a book. We're following a living God who has breathed out his wisdom on these pages. We're not following a list of rules. We're pressing into a way of life, a way of life that the one who went before us lived perfectly, and we get to read about it on these pages. We don't simply enter a transactional agreement that saves us from hell. We're pursuing a relationship with a living God who desperately wants to live with us forever in heaven amen and that's why the call of Jesus is to come follow me not follow this not follow there but come follow me because it's a relationship and when you say yes to that calling it changes everything because it would change everything if somebody walked up to you right now and said you leave everything right now and follow me your whole life would change And the same is true when we say yes to Jesus, because when we follow Jesus, we're following God. And what that means is that we're going to go where he went, but we're going to go where he went so that we might be where he is and that we might do what he does. And don't get me wrong, it's going to cost you everything. It's not easy. But you know that because you followed somebody in your life. Like if you're married, have you ever followed your spouse it made sacrifices to be able to do that. Have you ever followed your, your children? If you're a parent, as noble as it looks on the outside, it's hard. It doesn't always turn out as rosy as the Disney movies make it out to be. In the, in the Gospel of John, we see that. Now, I told you there's four Gospels that tell us different perspectives on the life of Jesus. And, and the author, the Gospel of John, records this conversation that took place after a popular scene that we see in Mark and other Gospels. It's this time where, where Jesus fed the 5,000. Remember that, that story? And, and he fed the 5,000. He walked on water. It created this crowd of people. These Jesus followers that were fascinated by his miracles and his teachings, and they wanted more, and they specifically wanted more bread. And so then Jesus taught, and in John chapter 6, he taught these people, and he told them that he came to earth to be the bread. And they didn't understand what that meant. And so he says, well, let me explain it to you. I'll break it down. He says that I'm going to die and that your hunger and your thirst is only going to be satisfied by eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And they're like, whoa, (laughs) what are you saying? They didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. And you can almost hear them saying, Jesus, we just wanted an eternal sandwich. Like We don't care if it's peanut butter and jelly or ham and cheese, but we just came for bread. They did not want to follow somebody who was going to sacrifice himself. And you know why they didn't want to follow somebody who was going to sacrifice himself? Because if you're following somebody who's sacrificing themselves, then where do you think you're going to go, right? And so this was not... Popular teaching. It's popular to hand out free sandwiches. It's popular to walk on water. This was not popular. And they responded the way any human being would. It says verse 66 of chapter 6 in John. From this time on, many of Jesus' disciples turned their back and they no longer followed him. And so Jesus looked at the 12, you know, the ones that he sought out that way that we just read. And he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And he asked them that. In verse 68, Simon, Peter, remember? Simon and Andrew, we just read about them. Fishing, nets, all that. Jesus asks them, and, and Peter answered the question by saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And what he's revealing to us and it's still early in Jesus' ministry, is the heart behind why he dropped his nets in the first place. Even though it didn't make sense, even though it would require great sacrifice, he says very simply, where else can we turn? You have eternal life. If you look back at at the Gospel of Mark in in chapter uh, 1, toward the end of it, what happens is is the disciples end up taking Jesus to Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, she was she was sick in bed, and Jesus healed her. And it says what happened in that town in, in verse 33 is that when people heard about the healing, they swarmed the house. Anybody who was going through any kind of tragedy in body, mind, or spirit, possessed by demons, cancer, whatever it is, they showed up where Jesus was, and they banged down the door so that they could be healed. And do you know why? Because the way to hope for those who need hope was being revealed in the person that they were following, and that was Jesus. And I think about that on weeks like this week. I think about that when we lose members of our loved church family. This week we lost two members of our community, Tammy Lois and Ray Gardner. I think about that when, When I I think about what I heard on Ash Wednesday, just hours before we gathered in worship to remember that we are dust and to dust we shall return, there were five employees in Milwaukee who were senselessly murdered just 40 minutes away from here by a disgruntled employee who opened up fire on them and then himself at the Miller plant. I heard later that one of the men even grew up in Elkhorn. Maybe some of you knew him. His name is Dale Hudson, class of 1978. Now, often when when things like this happen, people shake their fists at God, don't they? It's easy to do. And we say to God, how can I follow a God that allows these kinds of things to happen? How can I follow a God that allows all of this? But in Mark chapter 1 verse 33, in the midst of arguably the same kind of horrible tragedies that we face today, they looked to Jesus for hope instead. Simon Peter gives us an alternative, and I believe it's a better alternative. Instead of shaking our fists at God and saying, why do you allow for this? He says, as I look at all of this, how can I not follow you? You're the one who has the words of hope. See, Jesus didn't come just to answer our questions about why evil exists. He came to be with us in it, to give us hope beyond the grave. And friends, I want you to see that the way that that begins for you and me is for us to say yes when we hear his words, come, follow me. And so would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. And we thank you that when we take them for the real value that they are in the context that they were spoken, we see that it will cost us everything to say yes to you. But Lord, help us to see that our sacrifices to follow you, no matter what they might be, pale in comparison to the hope that we find in you when we realize that the invitation is coming from an almighty God who left his throne in heaven to be with us in the midst of our pain and our tragedy as well as in the joys of life, come, follow me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with those in our community who are suffering in this moment Those in the Milwaukee area whose families have lost their loved ones. That as they shake their fists at heaven, and as some of us ask the very logical question, God, how could you allow for these things, might we see that you are also our hope. That it's not that this life isn't difficult, but it's that we have nowhere else to turn in these moments. You are the one who has the words of eternal life. I pray that those words and that peace and presence comforts those who are mourning. You teach that blessed are those who are mourning for they will be comforted. God, will you comfort them now? Will you comfort those of us now who need you to comfort us? Help us to hear your voice when you call us to follow you as the greatest honor there is and the greatest comfort there is and a journey that we could begin even today that will take us into all of eternity. A journey that while it will cost us something, it cost you everything.